trigger warning, this entire episode is a hot mess of problematic material. I'm basically releasing it as a personal purge so I never have to deal with it again. I apologize in advance and encourage you to just delete it before even listening to it. Umbrella, viewer discretion is advised. Greenland Annual 2 begins at a nighttime hospital at a nurse's station. Sadly, this nightingale is assaulted by the bloodline's parasite Lysik, who rather brutally and with no small amount of sexually charged imagery, rips open the back of the woman's uniform, plunges a tentacle in the back of her neck, and drains her juices, changing into her human form. Lysik walks through a hospital door, where a young man trembles in his bed. Come to me, honey. Bring that big body over to me. Lysik wants to play. Despite her severe purple armor, Lysik is all swollen bosom and thighs overflowing from the metal she's. Unfortunately, the young man with the olive complexion and long flowing dark hair is not in a state to enjoy this sight. I, I can't. I can't walk my legs. Oh, poor baby. And what happened to his manly legs? The wreck. My dad trying to make his comeback. He, do I know you? Is it real or, or is it just the medication? Oh, honey, it's real. It's as real as it gets. Now you just lie back. You won't need your legs for this. You just let pretty Lissick take good care of you. After having crawled onto his bed, Lissick transformed back into her parasite form, and a scream let out at Coast City Hospital. Where the Boys Are, written by Gerard Jones, penciled by Mitch Bird, inked by Dan Davis. Green Lantern Hal Jordan was visiting his ex-girlfriend Arisia, and knowing that she'd long ago lost her power ring, took her on a flight so that she could experience that sensation again. Arisia was overjoyed, presuming that she was about to get a new power ring and rejoin the core. Hal let her down hard, letting her know that despite having aged herself to an adult body, she still had too much of the mentality of the 13-year-old that, I repeat, he had dated, and did so knowing full well about her mental state. So while Arisia was good enough to crawl between his sheets, she wasn't quite up to snuff to be a Green Lantern corpse one again in part proving Hal Jordan's prejudice against her. Arisha Pelley points out that if Hal Jordan really cared about her or other women, particularly his ex-girlfriend Carol Ferris, he'd be in Coast City where Ferris lives, investigating all the murders of women that are occurring there. Hal Jordan called that bluff, dropping off Arisia and then flying toward Coast City. I was more tempted by her suggestion than I'd ever admit to her. There's something about that teenage combination of energy and daring that's very exciting, even if they bring with them cockiness and inexperience. After all, my own youth showed me what it's like to be hot to prove yourself, certain you can handle anything. Forget it. I don't like to think about those years. I'd better just keep on moving to Coast City. Hal Jordan drops in on Carol Ferris's diverse cast of supporting characters, including dude with a mustache with bright red skin that does not occur in human life on this planet, woman with a terrible Irish accent, and blonde dude in a wheelchair. They lead Hal to the hotel where Carol is supposed to be staying, but no luck there. Meanwhile, that morning, 
morning back to the hospital, incoming staff find the bodies that have been left in Lissick's wake. They also hear the monitor flatlining in the room of the young male that Lissick had attacked last. The nurse identifies him as Nick Mayak, the boy whose legs were torn apart in that accident. The doctor realizes that the lad has no heartbeat, which doesn't make sense to the nurse because, aside from having lost his lower portions, Nick was in perfect health. The doctor initiates CPR, but the nurse is distracted by something different. Sure enough, the covers are ripped back, and Nick Mayak's legs have mysteriously grown back, completely healed. Doctor. Oh my. God. Uh, Nick, how do you feel? Fine, I guess, but I had this weird dream. There was this really beautiful woman, and she came to me, and no need to be upset, Nick. You just had a young man's dream. No, I don't have dreams like that. I haven't. Not once. Since the accident. No, it's when she came to me. The woman, there was, there was this horrible pain in my back. It hurt like you wouldn't be- There's something else you won't believe. What? It's your legs. What about- Wait, my, my legs. I, I can walk again. I can walk again. Yeah, I can make my comeback. Meanwhile, Hal Jordan is at the homicide department of Coast City. And a particularly brazen detective allows him to look in on a number of the bodies that had been ripped to shreds by Lysic and perhaps other bloodlines parasites. One of the victims looks a bit like Arisia, and Hal loses his lunch. Cut back to Coast City Hospital, where Nick is now dressed and has hailed himself a cab. He thinks on the ride home. Man, I'm glad I stood up for my rights back there. Typical of guys who think they're in charge. Those doctors wanted to run so many tests on me. I'd have been stuck there the rest of my life. But after all, that's what I thought until the day. I mean, after the accident, I thought the rest of my life was going to be wheelchairs and, well, if it wasn't for Uncle Kaina coming to visit me every day, saying, Nick, you must do something with your life now. Something you're good at. My school coach said I was too short for basketball, but I always sank those long shots. At baseball tryouts, he said I threw like a girl, but I kept hitting that strike zone. So there I lay, shooting darts at that Velcro board Unk brought for me, tossing papers in the wastebasket, hour after hour, day after day. It kept me focused, kept me from thinking about... Dropped off by the taxi, Nick pulls the house keys from his pocket and opens the door. Guess Uncle kind of blames himself for what happened with Dad. Guess we all do. We all saw it coming. We just didn't do anything. But if it wasn't for my Uncle Kaina slipping me money once in a while, I couldn't have afforded that cab ride home. He insisted I keep a set of clothes at the hospital. He's definitely one of the cooler adults I know. Can't wait to see his face. And Mom's and Lori's. Odd. No one answered when the hospital called. Oh well, I'm back. And I'm gonna do something with my... Mom! Lori, you're never going to believe. Mom? The house was in a shambled with blood streaking the walls. Oh, God. Mom! Mom! In a bedroom, he finds. No. Nick hears a shower running and sprints for the bathroom. Lori, are you... Her body is submerged in the tub. Lori! The head bobbing separated from its neck. No! Cut to Carol Ferris at a friend's house, speaking about her woes after asking Al Jordan to marry her and being turned down. Her friends excuses herself to grab some tea. In the kitchen, she's ripped to pieces and eaten by Lissick. Carol Ferris runs out the door into her car and speeds away, wondering if her friend was perhaps still alive, and then a momentary distraction causes her to run into a telephone pole. Cut back to the former Mayak household, where emergency responders have arrived. You think of anything at all, anything, and if you hear from your uncle, you let us know. Yes, sir. Nick returns to his disheveled, bloodied home, slams the door. Yes, sure, like I'd let you handle it. Uncle Kaina, Lori, Mom, I won't let them botch this one. It's not going to be like with Dad. I'll find the truth. If anyone's going to catch the scum who did this, it's going to be me and when i do no one will stop me from cutting them down nick goes through the house fighting throughout pieces of what would become his costume and tools from a bureau he pulls out black tights he rips down the curtains on the window specifically for its tassels he turns a scarf from a closet into a headband he takes all the knives from the kitchen and unscrews the handles through the holes he ties the curtain tassels turning steak knives into throwing daggers and then there's the ornamental dowel on the wall the symbol of yin and yang this becomes his chest emblem he exits through the window as a new man and decides to visit his next door neighbor mr 
Mr. Douglas to see if he had seen anything. Mr. Douglas lives in the house behind us. Maybe he heard something. Some clue. My legs are amazing. They feel so strong, like I could hurdle the moon. Maybe they'll help me find the kill. What do you want? Mr. Douglas, is that you? It's me, Nick Mayak. So? My mom and sister were killed. I was wondering, what? If you saw our herd, what's it to you? Don't you care? Don't you want to catch the animal who did this? Is that what you figure on doing? Damn right. Guys, come here, now. The burly, red-skinned neighbor grabs Nick, holding him by the arm. Nick had failed to notice that his neighbor had become a swollen, muscular, deformed creature. And I'd like you to meet my brothers. Hold him. This is what happens to junior detective snod nose. With a butcher knife, this beast severs Nick's right arm at the shoulder. Oh, spit. Oh, God. The dismemberment allowed Nick to run free for a moment. Get him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Gotta get help. Gonna bleed to death. Oh, God. I'm gonna bleed to... What? Why isn't it bleeding? Why doesn't it hurt? If I survive, I've got to find out. The stump on Nick's right shoulder looked like a halved grapefruit. Meanwhile, Green Lantern Hal Jordan was following up on a lead offered by the homicide detective, who had noticed that the various women who'd been murdered had severely unremorseful significant others. In fact, they seemed happy-go-lucky about the deaths of their former loved ones. Jordan met with one and got sucker punched. One would think that the power ring would have protected him, but not in this case. And Jordan notes that this man packed a wallop worthy of the Tasmanian Devil, the sort of thing that would only happen if the writer of this book happened to also write the Tasmanian Devil in Justice League Europe right at the same time. Jordan catches up with the Merry Widow only to get whacked in the back of the head with a lead pipe from another such merry widower. Once again, his power ring failing him. Cut back to Nick Mayak, who in one leap is scaling a wooden fence with his one good arm. I'm done. Can't take another step. They'll be here any second. But at least I can take one of these creeps with me. All those weeks in the hospital, practicing throwing with both hands. Darts, pencils, anything. Uncle told me to train my upper body. Now all I've got left is my... What the... In a series of panels, Nick Stump oozes, becoming a mass of liquid flesh and muscle. Spinning out, twirling well along itself, strands of tan meat, intertwining like tentacles on an octopus. I, I can't believe it. Slowly forming into a new arm, new hand. It, it's growing back, just like my legs. Please, God, tell me what's happening. Here! He's over here! Get him! Yeah, come and get it. Nick throws one of his knives directly into a man's chest, who actually laughs it off. Remember what Uncle Kinda taught me. Sight the target. Let part of you go with it. No fear. No fear. Direct hits. But nothing stops these guys. Maybe this. And so Nick slams a garbage lid across one of their faces. My aim more accurate than ever. My arm stronger than before. This is definitely very cool. I wonder how good I am. Don't know how you grew your arm back, kid, but let's see what happens when I cut off your head. The meat cleaver zings through the air. Nick sidesteps it, then grabs it in mid-flight. Okay, pretty good. Am I good enough? The butcher knife embeds dead center in the brute's chest, sending him flying out of the alley, slamming again into the exceptionally clumsy Hal Jordan who's just made the scene. Jordan spots the pack of mutated weirdos attacking a kid and hits him with a giant tennis racket. Wait Go Green Lantern. Hey kid, you know what's going on here? Yeah, three things. One, I think this has to do with the recent murders. Two, I'm no kid. And three, you better turn around. What? I hit those three hard enough to put them out for... Uh, can you stop them? Easily. By the by, didn't catch your name. Nick Mayak. Don't worry, Nick. This'll hold them. Well, it didn't. And the mutated creeps started pressing the shield against the wall, crushing Green Lantern and Nick Mayak behind it. This, this isn't possible. Oh, good. I had the crazy feeling we're being crushed. Well, yeah, now, but not for long. 
Jordan and Nick take flight. Whoa! Green Lantern circled around and then bumped all the brutes on the head with many battering rams. However, Meat Cleaver Brute had recovered, attacks the pair, and again flings the butcher knife at the snot-nosed punk, who deflects it with a garbage can lid and crunch, nailing the beast man right between the eyes. But then the heroes turn around and the mutates are gone. Interlude. Lissick appears to be in a hotel room, sexing up some chubby middle-aged guy who's already forgotten about his wife. You didn't tell me there was someone else in your house. Hmm? There was another woman there. Oh yeah, Carol Ferris, old friend of my wife's. How could I find her? She used to run Ferris Aircraft Plant in town. I don't know who cares about her or Leona. Linda. Whatever. I only care about you. You want more? Yes. Well, I know something you'll like even better. All in the implication that these two have already had sex, seeing as how our creepy widower is already buck naked in a hotel room bed. Lizzie shifts him up to the bedpost, pressing his face against the picture above the bed. We see his doughy nude form from the crack of his butt up through his head, and the shadow of the wall changes from a beautiful woman into a creature. Are you ready? Yes, yes, yes. Now tell me what you think of this. The tendril fires from her mouth into the back of his neck. At first he screams, Arr! But then his body begins to writhe in pleasure. Never, never imagine such ecstasy was possible. Back to the homicide detective's office. They're typing up the report for us to sign. Nick, the officers told me about your family. I... Cops. Doctors. They never do any good. We've got to get going. We? I'm not involving you in this. You too, huh? Fine. Then I'll do it alone. What? Are you nuts? You think I'll let you go off and get killed? Where do you get this attitude anyway? From my father, who did get himself killed with this attitude. Wait, Nick Mayak? Was your father Sonny Mayak? I saw him drive against Cliff Steele at Indy. He was the one who... The one who tried one comeback too many. Who had to prove he wasn't afraid to race anymore, like people said he was. Who drove his own car like a lunatic along mountain roads. Who did that even with his own son in the car. Who hit a eucalyptus tree at 85. Who killed himself and injured his son's spine and cost him both his legs. I always said I'd pull off the comeback for him. I got so good with my arms I figured I'd never need legs. And now? Now I've got the power to pull off a real comeback. And nothing's gonna scare me off. No wonder this kid gets on my nerves. He's just like I was. I felt the same mess of anger, pride, and guilt about my dad. After he killed himself trying to push his skills as a pilot too far. And the same obsession to make up for his failure. As soon as I could, I tried flying on the ground, daring death to take me, and dreaming of the day I could really fly. I did it coolly and without fear. And wasn't it the exact same attitude as Nick's that made me fearless? That made me Green Lantern. Nick, maybe you can help me. You sure you need help from a kid? I'm sure. Okay, one condition though. Uh-oh. What? We help each other out. We work together. Now hold on. That's not... Ah, hell. You win, Kit Nick. I like your attitude. The homicide detective walks in having heard a report of Carol Ferris's accident. She's still alive, but her friend Linda Rivers had been found in pieces in her home. Nick knows the neighborhood and helps guide Hal Jordan to it. Well, if we were working together, I guess we could give you a name. What's Nick? No, I mean a superhero name, like the Black Avenger. Yawn. Sorry, okay. Let's link it to what you do. What about just Nick? Ooh, look out, killer. You're about to get nicked. Real scary. Well, you keep talking about your comeback. Comeback? Not bad. But not great. You're so sharp, you pick a name. Nightblade. Not bad. If it's more than you know. The pair reach the address. 
And sure enough, Lizix turned another widow into a monster. He smashes through a picture window and topples Green Lantern. Shards of glass fly everywhere, and the man monster throws a handful at Nick. Green Lantern overreacts, nearly pureeing the widower inside of a giant blender. Wait, I'm okay. Didn't even hurt. You scared the hell out of me. Well, let's see what's on his mind. Jordan projects the thoughts of the widower, and it takes the form of, Oh my god, what is this? That's the one from my dream. The one I had right before I woke up and had these powers. If Rivers knows her, she knows who Carol is, which will lead her to the Ferris plant. I just hope to God that Carol won't be there. But of course she is, including her awful supporting cast. Well, then Lissick arrives, and despite these people being imminently expendable, somehow the giant monster doesn't manage to kill any of them. Hal Jordan bursts onto the scene, knocking Lissick back with a giant mace. He tells Nightblade to get the bystanders to safety, but instead, angry Nick leaps and karate kicks Lissick. Darn kid's holding his own. Good, I can get these guys out of here. And so he picks up all the innocents with a giant dustpan. God, I hate Hal Jordan. We've got some unfinished business. Ah, he's the damaged well. Yes, we do have unfinished business. Oh, don't worry. I won't feed on you again. You're too juiceless for my needs. So I'll do what I should have done before. And end your arid existence. Let's grabs Nightblade by the neck and the ankles. And then rips off his legs at the thighs. Jordan returns, calling Lissick a monster and slamming her in the face with a giant hammer. Jordan is horrified, thinking that at best, Nick is hobbled for life if not outright killed. You, you took my snacks away. Listen, slime, this should hold. What? Oh my sweet lord. Lissick resumed her sensual human form. And the seduction begins. With a helping hand from powering bondage. How? Oh, darling, do you always truss up your women so provocatively? Does it excite you? Shut up. Don't make me laugh, handsome. You won't harm me. You certainly won't stop me. I won't listen to you anymore. Your reign of tears is... Just be with me, lover. I'm yours to command. Even if your love games do get a little out of hand now and then. Don't worry, darling. I'll never hurt you. Never. I know you won't, honey. Jordan scoops up Lissick by the butt, cradling her vulva with his face. Meanwhile, Lissick is reaching around, starting to tongue his neck. So far, just a human tongue. However... Nightblade is recovered, or at least he's conscious and he has two bubbling stumps where his legs used to be. He manages to hop in the hero's general direction, clipping Jordan by the backs of the knees and knocking him over. So the Lissa goes face first to the ground. That little nuisance again. GL, what are you doing? You act like you love that. Of course, that's our power. That's why those men acted like that. Come on, GL. This creep killed my mom and sister. So I feasted on someone you love. Well, you love me too, don't you? Love you? Like hell! Nightblade began choking Lissick, but then a blast of a power ring makes clear Jordan's intent. Let go of her! You're not under my influence? No matter. Kill him, Mr. G.L. Why are you protecting her? She killed my family. She could have killed your friends. Friends? Carol? So much trouble. This juiceless little worm seems immune to my charms. Bones and muscle continue to develop on Nightblade, allowing him to just about stand. Think, GL, think! I suppose I'll have to graze in less green pastures. We'll meet again, my dried-up little grub. Lisk returned to her parasite form and flew away on her giant butterfly wings, as Carol Ferris and her friends looked on, wondering what's happened to GL. Think! 
Don't feel, think. Don't have to think. Love her, but I don't know her. How can I love Carol? Ferris screams as the mutated men attack the group. GL begins to come to his senses, fighting the Beastmen. As it turns out, even the dude with the cleaver in his face is still up and moving. But then so is Nightblade, now completely reformed, kicking his fresh new legs into the monster's faces. Picking on a guy who can't walk? I know you're tight, and it makes me want to kick some heads in. What's the matter? Afraid to look me in the- A small, green-tinged, bat-like creature cowers in a corner in the face of Nightblade. No, Uncle Kaina? With a giant battle axe, Green Lantern appears to make short work of the rest of the monster men, and then wonders why Nick is hesitating on this last winged creature. Nick stops him. No, don't hurt him. He's my uncle. He's one of hers, Nick. Don't you understand? I thought she killed him, but he's alive. I have to help him. Then let me take him before he can get away. Not again. Sure enough. Uncle Kinda had taken full advantage of the distraction, leaving unfinished business for Nightblade. I don't know how they move so fast, but they have to be stopped. I'll call on the Justice League. Whatever it takes, we'll get them. You better, GL, because if you don't, I will. Listen, I've got a proposition for you, Nightblade. Like what? How'd you like to be my backup? Come a Green Lantern. I was impressed with you back there. Not just your powers, but your daring, your fighting skills, your... Well, fearlessness. Me as a GL? Man, that would be incredible. Too bad I gotta say no. What? I appreciate the offer, but right now I have no family, and adults running my life hasn't turned out so good. Can't stay on your own. I know some people in LA. Maybe I'll consider your offer after I've proven myself. All right, Nightblade. Do it your way. But count on this. We'll see each other again. Did Green Lantern Hal Jordan's prediction fall true? Eh, sort of, kind of, not really. Nightblade turned up next in the Eclipso Annual, arriving on the scene after the creation of Prism. Looks like we have a new recruit for our team, that team being Nightblade, Sparks, Loose Cannon, Edge, and Anima. However, Prism was confused and combative. Nightblade tried to reason with him, but Prism ended up embroiled in a brawl. Nightblade joined in, but was ineffectual. Although he does successfully eventually coax Prism to the side of these new bloods. The group then go on to fight one of the parasites, and once again, Nightblade doesn't actually get much done. Next, Nightblade moved on to the Bloodbath specials, parts one and two. At the beginning of the book, President Bill Clinton asks the new bloods to turn themselves into authorities, as they had been associated with the Bloodlines parasites, and while he believed that they were innocent, he felt that they needed to be processed to determine for certain their innocence. Nightblade and his fellows were watching the message on television. What a load. We're not the ones who need help, pal. This group of new bloods managed to track down the parasite hive, but they also attracted the attention of the Flash, who decided to keep an eye on them. That worked out kind of well for the Flash because pretty much all of Earth's major heroes were defeated by a giant version of one of the Bloodline's parasites. Only Superman escaped and then found Flash with the new bloods base camp. Who are you people? What are you doing here? Jeez, you're just like he is. The biggest freaking monster since Godzilla, and all the heroes can do is... Prism interjects, Nightblade, please. Prism tries to work out the differences between the New Bloods, Flash, and Superman, who does finally admit that he doesn't really think that the New Bloods are associated with the Parasites. Working for that thing? Are you kidding? What the hell is it? Eventually, the group settles their differences, and Nightblade assures Superman, You can count on all of us. The group has some cheesy variation on the Fantastic Car, and Nightblade's the one who drives the thing. They begin flying around the giant Bloodlines Parasite, trying to attack it, although Nightblade settles for playing pilot and criticizing one of the other members. Hey, you want to watch the upholstery back there, man? I plan on keeping this thing. Shortly thereafter, Nightblade was hit by the tail of the giant parasite and then falls to his apparent death, broken neck first. This occurs early in the second book, and Nightblade doesn't turn up again until the very last page, where he begins snapping his neck back into place with an irk. Ballistic checks in with him, asking what happened. I don't know. I think I just snapped my back. Well, you look pretty spry to me. And my neck. 
think I snapped my neck too. Relax, kid. You're young. You got all the time in the world for things like that. Despite seeming to make fast friends with Ballistic, Nightblade missed out on the showcase story where the Blood Pack, a team of new bloods, first formed and is ultimately the last member to join the group in the first issue of Blood Pack. Despite being in all four issues, Nightblade does virtually nothing throughout the miniseries. Apart from being repeatedly disemboweled and dismembered, he's basically the guy who takes every single blast that's ever fired at the team. He takes it full on and it rips the hell out of him. He's the jobber of the group. Although, per Guy Gardner Warrior number 29, he's also sort of the spokesperson. The group shows up at the opening of Guy Gardner's Club Warriors, and a TV reporter asks, So you guys were put together for a TV show? That's right. Move over 90210 and check out Blood Pack. Yeah, he really said that. And then later in the book, he's threatened with a claw attack by the New Titans member Panther. This happens while he's grinning the whole time, probably knowing that regardless of whatever overtures Panther makes at him, he's going to come through it okay. A little further into 1995, the Blood Pack appears in Deathstroke the Terminator number 49, where they help to locate the Crime Lord's nuclear bombs, which Nightblade believes will be great for the ratings of the Blood Pack reality TV show. Perhaps not so much, though, because none of them turns up again until until the February 1996 cover dated Guy Gardner Warrior number 39 as part of another mass grouping of heroes who show up for a Christmas party. This would be Nightblade and the Blood Pack's final appearance of the 90s, turning up again 10 years later in Infinite Crisis number 7. The pack is surprisingly still together fighting Solomon Grundy when out of nowhere comes Superboy Prime who appears to blast out with Heat Vision and it's not really clear what's supposed to happen there, but based on follow-up comics, apparently every member of the Blood Pack was killed by that one blast of Heat Vision. Never mind, of course, that we've spent the entirety of Nightblade's career showing that the guy can apparently regrow from virtually any damage inflicted upon him. That's like the thing he does, which why it made sense a couple of years later for him to turn up in Final Crisis, Superman Beyond 3D, number one through two. He's among a group of heroes who've landed on the shores of Oblivion, which is basically super character limbo. And in that appearance, he appears to be whole. But since Jeff Johns was the guy who killed him in Infinite Crisis, he was also the guy to make sure to bring him back to let you know that he was dead because he returns as Black Lantern Nightblade in 2010. Adventure Comics number 4 through 5. Nightblade and several other members of the Blood Pack, plus random other characters that had mostly been killed by Jeff Johns, largely in Infinite Crisis, are now zombie Green Lanterns, essentially. They're meant to fight Superboy Prime, the person who killed them the first time. It's an irritating design on Nightblade. I actually have trouble determining that that's who the character is supposed to be because, aside from having longish hair and a headband, you don't see any of Nightblade's trademarks. He doesn't have the little knives. Instead, he has two big crocodile dungeons looking things which he uses like swords so not only was Jeff Johns unable to bother to check out the character's powers and kill them off in a single panel without it even being clear that's what happened but when he decides to reuse the character again he doesn't even use them in a way that reflects the character as he had appeared previously Superboy eventually decapitates the character with a karate chop but Black Lantern Nightblade turns up nonplussed about that a little later in the issue and then is ultimately dismissed today we're talking about a hero created by a left of center writer who fell out of favor and a flashy artist of the proto-image school it's about a slender young man man with a mullet dressed in skin-tight black clothes. He has extraordinary acrobatic ability, and his trademark move is throwing tiny knives at people with uncanny accuracy. He's lucky enough to heal from what would normally be fatal wounds and battle the aliens who created him before being absorbed into a team book. If you're thinking about Longshot, what were you doing for the first 25 minutes of this episode? When I was buying the individual Bloodlines annuals at my local comic spot, which was actually a flea market booth as I recall, the Green Lantern annual was my favorite up to this point, and probably overall. I love the 80s gross-out horror comedy vibe with a strong current of Cronenberg body horror, and a surprising element of eroticism besides. Much of this enthusiasm can be attributed to artist Mitch Bird, clearly a fan of thick women and cutaway views of a severed arm. I'd never seen flesh-made liquid 
turned roping tendrils, forming new muscles like that before, really since. And it was boss. Bird had an uncommon tendency to draw most of his characters looking realistically overweight to downright obese, and still make them look cool and flashy. The work looked a bit like Michael Golden crossed with a less busy early Todd McFarlane. And while this example was rougher than his later cult favorite stint on Guy Gardner Warrior, I was still impressed and a fast fan. The story's writers seemed to recognize that Bloodlines was a B-movie at heart, and rightly channeled the likes of Sam Raimi, Fred Decker, and early Peter Jackson for an exceptionally violent but still fun romp. Yes, it can be read as gross and misogynistic if you analyze it too much, but the story clearly wasn't intended to be taken that seriously, and its crimes are handed down from the genres it's aping. Also, most of the men in this story are id monsters, so it levels a share of grinning misandry as well. The writer of this story played into a lot of themes prevalent in the Bloodlines Aliens' obvious antecedent, the vampire, and I like that Lissick was given distinctive powers the parasites generally lacked across their dozens of appearances. I thought the widower monsters had a sinewy, distorted anatomy that recalled Bernie Wrightson, and I wish they had played in the Nightblade's later appearances. Whether or not the writer ever intended to pick up on the many threads left over from this story, the most obvious avenue of the Green Lantern series was soon rendered unavailable. The writer was drummed off that title in order for Emerald Twilight to usher in the period of Hal Jordan as mass-murdering villain and Cal Rayner as the new Green Lantern. The writer did still have Just League International at his disposal, but not for long, and Nick Myax being an American wouldn't have helped that book's issues with Yankee centricity. Actually, it's difficult to determine exactly how Nightblade would have contributed to diversity at DC Comics. While the Bloodline's Wikipedia page insists he's Chinese-American, the only canonical evidence I could find for that was his Taoist chest emblem. The surname Mayak is Russian, and there's no reference to a specific ethnicity in any official resource or comic I've come upon. Nightblade doesn't help with stereotypes of Asian heroes who employ martial arts and melee weapons either. Still, I love this comic when I first read it, and it's one of the best times I've had rereading these annuals. I want to root for even ambiguous inclusion for the DC Universe, even one with as modest a history as Nightblades. That said, I don't see anyone rushing to promote this character, given the recent deeply disturbing revelations about his co-creator. Also, the artist half of that equation has seemed content to doing Frank Cho-style naked jungle girls and dinosaur pinups for the BBW scene instead of comic books since the late 90s. As much potential as I see for Nightblade, I figure he's doomed forever to obscurity at this point.